You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 122, Mame Cabinets. Hello and welcome to episode 122 of You Don't Know Flat. Today is Sunday, February 3rd, 2013, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's show, I'll be talking about MAME cabinets. I'll explain what MAME is, what MAME cabinets are, and tell you everything you need to know about building one. This has been one of the most highly requested topics since I started the podcast all the way back in 2008, so I hope everyone enjoys this show. I decided to try something new this week by having background music run during the show's opening segment. The song you are now listening to is Chartreuse Cactus from the album I Cactus. Let me know what you think about this new twist by emailing me at robohara at robohara.com or by calling the You Don't Know Flag voice mailbox at area code 206-309-9501. This is the part of the show where I will read feedback and play voicemail messages I've received throughout the week. So let's go ahead and check that mailbox nothing there. Well, let's uh, check the voicemail line. You have zero messages. Well, that segment ended quickly. If you'd like to have your letters read on the podcast or your voicemail messages played back, go ahead and send me an email at robohara at robohara.com or call the voicemail line. I'd like to welcome all of our new podcast affiliates this week. Since day one, the show has been available on the website, which is podcast.robohara.com or through iTunes. But over the last week and a half, I got the show added to Stitcher, which is a really cool mobile app for streaming podcasts, and the Xbox Marketplace, which is formerly the Zoom Marketplace. The show is also now available through Double Twist and Podcast Pickle. So no matter where you get the new episodes, thank you for listening. Episode 122 also brings the show its first sponsor. Episode 122 was sponsored in part by full-time freelance writer Brett Weiss, author of the award-winning Classic Home Video Games book series. The ambitious goal of the Classic Home Video Games book series is to catalog, describe, and review every game for every classic video game console, including such favorites as the Atari 2600, Intellivision, NES, and Sega Genesis. You can order books in the Classic Home Video Game series through Amazon or through Brett's website, which is www.brettweisswords.com. I've met Brett several times at the Oklahoma Video Game Expos that take place in Tulsa each year, and he's always interesting to talk to, so be sure and check his books out. Thank you, Brett, for being the first official sponsor of the show. If you would like to sponsor an episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can find the information at the top of the website. I hope you guys don't maim me for having such a long introduction. Hey, speaking of MAME, let's get started with episode 122, MAME Cabinets. The first time I saw 
emulation was around the time I got Windows 95. A couple of Nintendo NES emulators were released around that time, and to be honest with you, to me at that time, emulation seemed more like a parlor trick. It was like a magic trick. Hey, look, we got Nintendo games to run on a PC. So at that time, I didn't think of emulation as being uh, what it is today, of course, like a way to play games or anything like that. I just, like I said, it, it seemed more like a trick, like something you could do, like when somebody ports you know, uh, something over to an iPod or whatever. Like, I saw a text adventure engine running on an iPod Nano with a screen so small there's no way you could read the text. So it's more of a technical demo than anything uh, that would be applicable. So that's that's um, was my first impressions of emulation. The idea of emulation is a little bit backwards than what we'd had up until that point. We had arcade games like... Pac-Man, let's say, and then when you had a home system, someone would look at the arcade game and try to capture the look and feel of the arcade game, but rewrite it completely for a new host system, like the Atari 2600. Obviously, you can't take what was doing in the arcade, what you know, the code that was running, and convert that over into something the Atari 2600 would, would run. It, the the um, technical limitations were just too great. So what you would do or what programmers would do, is look at the code, look at the game in the arcade, take the essence of it, and then go rewrite it for a different system. So emulation is kind of the reverse of that. Instead of rewriting code to run on a new system, what you write on the system is software that emulates the hardware that the host software runs on. So in other words, for Pac-Man, for example, you're not, if you want to emulate Pac-Man on a PC... You're not rewriting the arcade code of Pac-Man. What you write is code that emulates the hardware. And then you take the original software of the Pac-Man arcade game and dump the information off of the actual ROMs and put that in a system to where the emulator can actually read them. So MAME actually got its start as being a Pac-Man emulator. And I remember downloading this and running it at the time. And I remember thinking how hilarious it was that you had to press a button to insert coins into this game that was on my computer. Uh, Which, if you think about it, that's exactly how the arcade game works. You have to put coins or a quarter or a token into the game to trigger the game to know that you have credits that you can start playing the game. So when you take that original code and move it over to a PC, unless you change the code you still have to tell the software that you've put a quarter into it, even though the the code itself doesn't know that it's running on a PC. It just knows um, that it's running the original code. So MAME did get its start as a Pac-Man emulator. Other games began being added to this emulator, and then pretty soon it was rechristened as MAME, which stands for Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator. So the idea of MAME is that it's one program that emulates all these different types of hardware. And then what people do is they take, uh, the term is PCB, printed circuit board. Think of it like a motherboard that's inside your computer. In arcade games, you have a PCB that has a whole bunch of different chips on it, ROM chips, read-only memory, right? And so people take these chips and dump them into a format that MAME can read. So... The 
idea of MAME is that you have one program that can play a lot of different arcade games. Now, back in the day, uh, when MAME first started, it could play a couple of hundred arcade games, but now it can play thousands and thousands of different arcade games. So all the classic games, all your favorite games from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, even a lot of modern games, MAME can faithfully reproduce on your home computer. So I think we would all agree that playing arcade games on your home computer is different than playing them in the arcade. Uh, first of all, if you think back to the early days of MAME, MAME came out, uh, officially came out in 1997. So I was a PC user back in 1997. So a lot of people that I knew that had PCs didn't even have joysticks. Um, most PCs back then didn't come with a joystick port. If it did, it was not a joystick port like what we think of today. It was a 15-pin game port that also doubled uh, as a MIDI port. Even if you did have a sound card, usually that came the port came bundled on sound cards. But if you had a sound card that had that port and a joystick that plugged into it, you still had to make sure that games supported it because not every game supported joysticks. And even when they did... Um, Early IBM joysticks were terrible. Now, later they got better. Um, I had a Gravis gamepad, which was the first joystick I ever saw that actually looked, um, it looked like a, it was shaped like a Super Nintendo control pad, but it had a D-pad on it instead of a joystick, and it had four buttons on the right-hand side. But to be honest with you, I don't remember playing MAME with that. From For a long time, I played MAME using the PC keyboard. So, yeah... Playing games, arcade games, even um, older ones like Pac-Man or Donkey Kong are not exactly the same when you're playing them with a keyboard versus playing them uh, with a joystick or especially an arcade type joystick. I remember, you know, back then Windows 95, 98, um, you know, this was pre-USB. So it, it took a, a little bit of work to actually get joysticks working. Also, those old versions of MAME were DOS only. So... That meant you had to figure out the command lines. Uh, it wasn't just running MAME and then putting the machine in. There were all these different little settings you had to put in there. Uh, so it took a little bit of work to get MAME up and running back then. Now, of course, um, MAME has just continued to grow. It's been ported over to pretty much every operating system and device I can think of. And when I say every, I don't just mean like Windows and Linux and, and Macs. It's on the iPhone, it's on the Sony PSP, MAME's been ported to the original Xbox, it's on the Wii, uh, it's on the Amiga, you can get MAME on your Amiga, so, I mean, if your refrigerator has a processor or something, you can probably get MAME to run on that. Um, and then, like I said, you know, from the early days, MAME only supported maybe a couple hundred games, but now it's just um, in the thousands, uh, well over 5,000, I believe, right now, so... But yeah, it's not, no matter what you're playing it on, it's not the same as playing it on an arcade machine. You know, like I said, the controls are not the same. When you're on an arcade uh, cabinet, you have that arcade joystick, you have the buttons, um, you have that, that experience, you know, of putting a quarter in and just standing in front of a machine, playing head-to-head -head against a friend or taking turns, you know. I guess at some point, and I, I tried to look this up, I really couldn't find this, but Probably, and it's one of those things that probably multiple people came up with the same idea at the same time. But um, this idea 
I think a lot of people have this idea. The first time they see MAME, you have this idea of, well, what if you could put this in an arcade cabinet? And so that's, at the bare minimum, what a MAME cabinet is. It's taking a PC that plays MAME and putting it inside an arcade cabinet. Now, before we begin talking about MAME cabinets, I want to do a quick experiment. I want you to close your eyes for 10 seconds and imagine what a MAME cabinet would look like. Now, remember, we're talking about a computer that runs MAME inside an arcade cabinet. So close your eyes for 10 seconds and imagine what that would look like. Okay, so what did you imagine? I imagined an old pole position cabinet, a sit-down cabinet with MAME running inside that only runs driving games. Now that's probably not what you imagined. Maybe you imagined a machine that looked exactly like a real arcade game, or maybe you imagined one of those giant MAME cabinets with a huge control panel, four joysticks, eight buttons for every player, and trackball... Uh, Maybe you imagine a cocktail cabinet or something even completely different. It doesn't really matter. But the point of this exercise is twofold. And the first is that a MAME cabinet can look like anything you want it to look like. The other point is, before you run out and spend a bunch of money on parts and and things for your MAME cabinet, you should really sit down and spend a few minutes to decide what you want your MAME cabinet to look like. Do you want it to look... Uh, I call it stealth machines. Do you want it to look like a normal arcade cabinet? Do you want it to have every control for every single game ever made? Or do you want to build something like that driving cabinet, something that specializes in playing one particular type of game? So let's talk in general about the parts of a MAME cabinet. You'll need a computer, of course, to run MAME and a monitor. Uh, We'll need a cabinet to hold both of those things and on that cabinet we're going to need some joysticks and buttons and a way to wire those things into the computer and then ultimately we'll need some artwork we'll need bezels and uh, control panels and marquees and things like that so the first thing we're going to talk about is the computer and it's funny uh, in my show notes here that the computer is probably the most important thing inside the cabinet but It's the thing I wrote the least about, because really, there are so many different options. There's no one thing I can say, well, buy, you know, this model of Dell computer and boom, main machine. It doesn't really work like that. So the first thing you need to decide is what do you want to play on your main machine? Like what era of games? And the reason why that's important is because that will decide how powerful of a processor you need in your main cabinet. One thing to keep in mind is that MAME uses the CPU for all of its processing. It does not really use or take advantage of high-power video cards. So, really, if you need more speed, you're not going to upgrade video cards for a MAME cabinet. What you're going to do is get either more RAM or faster processor. Old MAME, I have seen MAME cabinets running on 486 computers. Now, granted, that's going to definitely limit what you can play um, but old Pentiums, my the main cabinet that I had running for years ran off a 1 gigahertz machine with, I think, 1 gig of RAM. As far as operating systems go, I'm a uh, Microsoft guy, so you can set up a MAME cabinet to run DOS. I ran MAME on an XP machine and a Windows 2000 machine for a long time. 
a lot of the processing power may go to the operating system, which is overhead. So if you want to run Windows 7, let's say, on a main cabinet, you can obviously do that, but you're going to need a, a lot more, a lot beefier processor just because it's Windows 7 versus uh, XP or uh, even, you know, like I said, I, I ran a cabinet off of Windows 2000 for a long time. So, um, but, but there are lots of main builds out there for Linux, uh, there's in fact a, I believe it's a Nopix build that you can find. If I can find a link to that, I'll put it in the show notes. But it's a um, basically a MAME system ready to go off of a CD. You could just put that in your machine, boot up off the CD, uh, and have MAME ready to go. Uh, but there are Mac builds, there are DOS builds, anything that you uh, want, you know, to run MAME on. So again, it all ties together to. Uh, how much processing power you'll need to what operating system, things like that. You're also going to need a lot of drive space, depending on how many ROMs you have on there. Um, the, each ROM in itself, each game ROM, is usually pretty small. But when you start collecting hundreds or thousands or 5,000 of these things, uh, they can take up gigs and gigs and gigs of storage. So uh, if you plan on having a main cabinet that has every game known to man on it, you're going to need quite a bit of storage. Throughout the years, MAME has begun to support uh, CHD files, which are hard drive images that are used in some games. And um, there are also emulators to run Laserdisc games. I'll talk a little bit about that. But those things will really start to eat hard drive space. So if you're looking at those things, you'll definitely want to um, invest in a larger hard drive. So a couple of things I learned the hard way with my first MAME cabinet. When I built my first MAME cabinet... Uh, I wanted the inside of the cabinet to look as close to an arcade machine as possible. And I didn't think that having a PC sitting inside an arcade cabinet, even though you can't see it from the front, um, but I knew it was there. And I didn't want just to have a PC sitting inside there. So I completely disassembled a PC. And I took the motherboard out and mounted it to the wood. And I took the hard drive out. I put it on little rails and I mounted it. Um, And it looked much less like a PC inside an arcade cabinet, and it looked fairly authentic like an arcade cabinet. The problem was, every time I had to work on it, I was on my hands and knees behind this arcade cabinet digging around for things because I couldn't just remove the PC. Something that MAME doesn't use at all is a network connection. I, you know, basically, MAME does not need a network connection to to operate. But, inevitably, the machine that you have running MAME will need upgrades. It will need repair. You'll want to change things. You'll want to tweak things. You may want to add games or remove games or whatever. So um, by taking the machine apart and mounting it to the wood was not really the best design, I don't think, in retrospect. Now, uh, one thing a lot of people do is if you have a network connection or now wireless, you can just add a wireless NIC to the back of that machine and then using a remote desktop, some sort of remote tools. I use VNC, whatever you want to use, but you can remote into the machine, upgrade it remotely without having to actually get inside the machine. Um, It's also a good idea to, especially until you're done, to have an easy way to add a keyboard and mouse to the machine. This is another issue I had because the cabinet I used, there was no good front access So I was constantly running around to the back of the machine and trying to do things where I couldn't see the monitor. And I even had a mirror set up at one time where it was, it was a horrible setup. So, um, 
Yeah, I would probably, if I were building a, a new main cabinet today, I would just take the tower, whatever computer tower you plan on using, and put it in the bottom of the cabinet and call it a day for that. But definitely think about um, how you're going to upgrade that machine in the future. Um, I would recommend wireless NICs are so inexpensive these days. I would probably just buy a, a wireless network card, attach it to the back, and then that way I could remote in and do that. But um, now connected to that computer, you're going to need a monitor. And there are several different options on monitors for main cabinets. You can use an authentic arcade monitor. You can use an old uh, CRT computer style monitor. You can use a newer LCD style monitor, or you can actually use a television. So let's talk about the pros and cons of each one of those. First of all, an arcade monitor is going to give you the most authentic experience. Um, arcade monitors have a different look and feel and resolution than all the other solutions. So anybody who has been around arcade games will instantly notice if you're playing Pac-Man on an LCD screen versus an original monitor. It just doesn't look the same. So if you want to do that, there are cards that you can buy that will output. Um, arcade monitors use a different refresh rate than uh, normal monitors, than computer monitors do. So you can't just plug an arcade monitor into your PC without having a special card. So they do sell those cards, and if that's uh, the way that you want to go. Now, running Windows or anything like that on an arcade monitor uh, is going to prove to be difficult. But if you want to just, yeah, basically what you would do is use it as a second output. You output MAME to that second video card and run off of that. Um, now, the downsides of arcade monitors, first of all, essentially at this point, they don't make new arcade monitors. Um, arcade monitors are mostly what you're going to get now are old ones that may or may not need repair. They may need cap kits. Uh, they're going to be difficult for the average person to work on. They can be dangerous to work on. Um, I, if you, if I were building a main cabinet from scratch today, I would not recommend that you go buy an arcade monitor. Now, if you are retrofitting an old arcade cabinet, and I'll talk a little bit about that, um, then you might want to look into that. But a lot of people, the first thing they do is they pull the arcade monitor out, sell it, reuse it for something else, and they replace it with a different option. So a second option would be a CRT computer monitor, you know, an old tube uh, computer monitor, the kind that we all, most of us, many of us listening to this grew up with versus what we have now. This is actually, as far as accuracy goes, um, I mean, as far as looking authentic, let's say, it's one of the worst solutions. The other one is the LCD solution. Um, and the reason is because they look too good. They are too crisp. Resolutions on these monitors are um, designed for operating systems, you know, for text, for things like that. So when you put an arcade game on it, if you look at the graphics of, let's say, Donkey Kong, like the actual character Donkey Kong, um, when you look at him on a computer monitor, it's very crisp and very detailed, and you can see exactly which colors they use. But if you look at Donkey Kong on an arcade monitor... Because of the resolution, because of the technology, uh, those colors, the edges, they kind of blend together. They could make colors. Um, they depended on that 
to make the edges not seem so harsh and to make colors blend together a little better. So um, on a computer monitor, a CRT monitor, let's say, um, it ruins that illusion. It's too clear. Um, it's, it's like putting a spotlight on a magician who's on stage. It just brings out all these details that you really don't want to see. Um, so those are the easiest solutions. Now I'll tell you a problem. Uh, and this is, I was going to talk about this later, but this seems like a better place for it here. One of the biggest problems that we used to see with MAME cabinets is that people would use their old uh, CRT that they had laying around in their garage. You know, we all had these old tube monitors and nobody wants to throw them away. You can't give them away. I've taken, I have taken computer monitors to Goodwill and they won't take them. Uh, so we all have these old computer monitors sitting around in our garages, or at least I did. When people are building a main cabinet, they say, Hey, I have this monitor, you know? And so they go dig these monitors out and they're maybe 15 inch monitors or 17 inch monitors, something like that. And they put them in the main cabinet. And if you look at pictures of people who have done this, it looks ridiculous because the monitor is so undersized compared to an arcade monitor. Um, most arcade machines had 19-inch monitors or 25-inch monitors. And so if you put a 15-inch PC monitor in a main cabinet, it just looks stupid. Um, you know, they, people put these giant bezels all the way around the monitor to try to hide the fact that it's a tiny little monitor, but it, it, um, I don't, I don't know why, I mean, people invest all this time and all this effort into building a main cabinet and then they put a tiny monitor right in the middle of it. It looks terrible. Um, that's my opinion. So anyway, like I, I touched on, you could also go with, um, you know, like a modern LCD monitor, but even then, you know, like I said, it's so crisp. A lot of this has to do with what, and, and all of this, all of this, MAME cabinets, has to do with what you want and what's important to you. If you look at MAME on a, you know, an LCD monitor and you think it looks great, then put one in there. You know, there's no rules to building a MAME cabinet. Now, there will be, and I'm going to talk more about this later, but there will be a long line of people waiting to tell you how you did everything wrong. <laughs> I don't know why the MAME community is that way, but it is. Um, but so if you grew up playing arcade games and if um, you have other arcade machines, that um, a MAME cabinet with an LCD monitor is going to stand out like a sore thumb. But if it doesn't bother you, do it. Now, the best solution I have found personally is using a television set. And television sets... I think are the best of both worlds because they use the older technology like um, old computer uh, or like old arcade monitors. They have that, you know, the um, they're not quite as crisp. They have that same type of look to them. Um, but they can also be very simple to hook up to a computer if your computer has an S-Video out port. So my main cabinet, this is what I ended up doing. At first I had a CRT monitor in there. And like I said, I just, um, ultimately I wasn't happy with the way that it looked. So I found a television that had a S video input and I had a TV card or a uh, TV out card that had S video out. So when you, when you plug it in, you immediately get that original look of an arcade monitor, but it's very simple to hook up. So 
Um, and the good thing about TVs right now, and I think we're going to have to hurry because they're slowly disappearing, but, um, you know, when I go to pawn shops or thrift stores, you'll see uh, televisions that will work for this for 10 or $20, you know, so it's really a cheap money investment. Now, as far as, I, I've seen people when they put you know, computer monitors or whatever in their main cabinet that they take the plastic off, they take the housing, and they actually take the monitor itself out. Eh, you know, um, again, that's a, a matter of personal preference. If you ever plan on pulling that monitor back out and using it for something else, I don't recommend that. Um, sometimes you have to make modifications to, especially, I, I had um, a 21-inch computer monitor, a CRT monitor, and um, the the case was so giant that it stuck out of the back of the arcade cabinet. So, I mean, in a case like that, you, you kind of got to do what you got to do. I mean, if you have to pull the cabinet off or the housing off, you know, whatever. But, um, again, a lot of this is just, um, I don't want to say winging it, but it is in a way. It's It's taking what you can get, what you want, and putting it into a cabinet. So speaking of cabinets, let's talk a little bit about that cabinet itself. Now, there are two trains of thought, I guess, when it comes to arcade cabinets uh, for May machines. The first is there are people that build them from scratch. There are plans on the internet, and I will um, link to some of these in the show notes. Um, there are plans that you can download for a Miss Pac-Man cabinet or Defender cabinet, or whatever, any retro, there are even um, generic ones, if you don't really care about it looking like a, a specific type of machine. So, And there are plans that you can buy, but there are plenty out there that are available for free. So you can go download these plans, go buy some you know, wood from your local lumber shop, and cut out an arcade cabinet. So now why would you want to do that? Um, and the answer is because you have a brand new cabinet. I mean, there's no, nobody's ever kicked it. <laughs> nobody's ever scratched their initials into it. Nobody has ever, maybe you can't find one. Maybe you can't find a vintage arcade cabinet that's in good enough condition for you to use. So, um, you know, there are lots of reasons why to make your own. Personally, I've never done that. It just seems like, first of all, I'm terrible when it comes to cutting wood. Like I can cut Every time I build shelves, I'll cut three pieces of wood, and somehow they're all different lengths. I don't know how I do that. Um, but um, so, you know, I mean, if you are good at woodworking or you know somebody who is and you want to do that, then that's certainly a possibility. But the route that I've always taken is the other route, which is refurbishing old arcade cabinets and turning them into main machines. Now... Let's have a talk about that, because if you do this, people will have a talk with you about this. <laughs> so, there are two types of arcade cabinets. And to put it very simply, there are arcade cabinets that people give a crap about, and there are arcade cabinets that people don't give a crap about. Um, my first main machine... And I didn't really, I wasn't part of the arcade community, arcade scene, whatever you want to call it at that time. Um, my parents, when I was a kid, bought my sister an arcade game. It was uh, uh, a Sega game, but it had been converted, so it wasn't an original cabinet. 
And I, I knew the cabinet looked familiar as a kid. I didn't know as much about arcade cabinets then as I know now. Uh, but the, the game died, and then when I started collecting actual arcade machines, this cabinet had been sitting uh, in a back bedroom with stuff piled on it, and so my dad said uh, I could have it. So this arcade cabinet was actually a Donkey Kong Jr. Nintendo cabinet. It was orange with the white T-molding, so it, and on the back it even had a, a little plaque from Nintendo identifying it as a Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet. The game didn't work. There were no parts inside it that worked. The monitor had died. Um, the motherboard still worked, but the, when the power supply died, that was it. There were no parts inside this, essentially, that worked. So I thought, hey, I'll just you know turn this into a main cabinet. So I worked for a long time turning this into a main cabinet. I told you, I disassembled a PC. I mounted it in there. I got all my wiring done. I got everything done. I had a, a custom marquee printed up. I did everything. And when I posted pictures of this on the internet people went crazy and not in a good way i got an email from people calling me a piece of crap <laughs> i mean people were like how dare you desecrate a donkey kong jr cabinet and turn it into a crappy mame cabinet now i knew the backstory I mean, I knew that this was a non-working cabinet, and I actually hadn't done anything to the cabinet itself. Um, I hadn't changed anything. I didn't saw anything off or, you know, take apart any original parts or anything like that. So I really didn't understand people's um, ire towards me at that time, but now I do get it a little bit. And it's because there are so many generic cabinets that were made over the years, Dynamo, um, was a company that just made arcade cabinets that were generic. So you would buy this cabinet and then put whatever you wanted in it. Or there were machines that had just been, you know, year after year that were reused um, that weren't um, memorable, for lack of a better word. They weren't identifiable. They were just generic cabinets. And so um, when, if you're going to use an arcade cabinet, I'm not telling you what you have to use. You can go buy a vintage whatever, Dragon's Lair machine, something that's completely unique, and then you can strip everything off of it and make it the main 1,000, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but what I am telling you is that there are people that will attack you <laughs> for doing that. And so as part of a community, as part of the arcade community, what I would tell you is um, if you have a cabinet or you acquire a cabinet that's something like that, you might throw it out there. Somebody might trade you for a better cabinet. Um, I mean, a lot of people would rather see, um, I like when I had spare cabinets around or whatever, I would have traded somebody a good generic one uh, for a bad Donkey Kong cabinet because, um, you know, a known cabinet like that, if somebody gets a Donkey Kong cabinet, what they're probably going to do is restore it and turn it back into a Donkey Kong machine, whereas a generic cabinet nobody cares about. So anyway, that's just a little bit about the types of cabinets. So uh, Chris Kohler from Wired.com wrote a book called Retro Gaming Hacks uh, several years ago, and it was a compilation of articles, and he was looking for people to write articles. So I submitted articles about building main machines, and I included... Uh, pictures of my main machine, which was a Donkey Kong Jr. main cabinet. And let me tell you, I did get email about that. I won't say death threats, <laughs> but 
it felt like it at the time, you know, when you put all your work into something and somebody's like, wow, what a jerk you are, you know? So, um, yeah, it's just something to keep in mind, but at the bottom line, who cares? You know, I, I've had this conversation. I'm kind of derailing now at this point, but I've had this conversation in comparing MAME cabinets to classic cars because my dad does not care about, uh, arcade cabinets in the way that I do. I mean, he understands you know, why I enjoy them and, and why I collected them. Um, so as I'm trying to relate to him, why people are upset about me turning a Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet into a main machine, he's like, well, who cares? Who cares what they do, you know? And so I'm like, okay, well, let's say um, you bought a 57 Chevy and you decided, I mean, and it was working, it was running car, uh, a highly collectible car, and you took it and basically pulled the body off and threw the car away and you put the body on your lawnmower. And so now you have a riding lawnmower that looks like a 57 Chevy. And then he gets it, you know. Um, and there are a lot of parallels between uh, classic car restoration, doing things like that, and and MAME cabinets, you know. So uh, re- if you're looking for a generic body that doesn't matter for your riding lawnmower, maybe you should get a 74 Pinto or something like that, you know, something that... Um, collectors aren't looking for. Bottom line, if you've got the money, you buy a 57 Chevy and you can do whatever you want to with it. But just don't expect a lot of support from the community when you show off pictures of that. I learned that the hard way. So anyway, back to the actual cabinet. Um, if you buy, if you build a cabinet, I have seen people, uh, there's a website I just found while I was doing a little bit of research for this show of a guy who built a his own main cabinet basically over a weekend. I mean, he got the plans. He already had a table saw, and he had all the tools and stuff. Obviously, he's uh, skilled in woodworking, and he built a main cabinet over a weekend. That's not typical. Most of us don't have those skills. I don't have those skills. Uh, so anytime I thought about doing a main cabinet, I would look at you know getting a cabinet, acquiring an older cabinet that I would turn it into a main machine. But the first thing you want to look at is how much work is this cabinet going to require? The classic arcade Cactus Jacks, which is located just a few miles from me, used to put their old machines out by the curb. So you would drive by this arcade um, maybe once a month, maybe once every couple of months, and there would be arcade machines out by the curb. So, um, like classic cars, since I already started that comparison, um, you could look at these cabinets, and when you see an old Asteroids cabinet, especially if you grew up playing Asteroids, you're like, oh my god, it's an Asteroids machine. But what you're probably not seeing with your eyes, you're seeing it with your heart, and you're seeing it with your memories, but with your eyes, what you're not seeing is maybe this cabinet has water damage. And water damage, um, most old arcade games were built out of MDF, uh, which is basically little specks of wood that have been glued together. And when they get wet, it acts like a sponge. It expands and turns the wood into mush that will break off with just the slightest touch. And it turns, it's a mess. And it's not repairable. Now, I mean, it's repairable in the sense that you can cut the damaged part off and then try to, 
you know, join up wood or whatever to extend the cabinet. It, it's a lot of work. So, um, when you're looking at old cabinets to turn into main cabinets, you have to look with your eyes. Don't look with your heart. Because, like I said, it's easy to see, just like with cars. You know, you see a... Uh, uh, an old Trans Am or something, and you say, oh, and, and you're thinking, what could this car be, but not what it is. You know, you don't see that it has four flat tires and it hasn't been started in 20 years. You just see, uh, maybe you have memories of that car as a kid, um, or you see what it could be, you know. So, now, I have gone to arcade auctions. I had a podcast about arcade auctions. And non-working machines and empty cabinets are usually moved towards the end of the auction. And I have bought arcade cabinets in decent condition for $5. Um, I've bought ones non-working machines in really good condition for $25. So those are great candidates for main machines. I mean, you have an entire machine. You have everything you need inside. Uh, if you wanted to use the original joysticks and buttons on those machines, there you go. Um, so it's a, it's a really good head start. Those are good places. Also, um, sniff around at the local arcade. If you still have a local arcade, maybe they have machines that, um, are broken or in the back. Um, there is a relationship that a lot of people don't understand. When you are looking for an arcade cabinet, uh, it is like gold that you're looking for. You know, it's, you're looking for something very valuable, but on the flip side, People that run arcades, especially several years ago, maybe not so much now, but, um, you know, they might have machines that they can't get rid of. I mean, if you think about getting rid of an arcade machine, you're talking about uh, having to beat it apart with a sledgehammer or cut it apart with a saw and get it into a trash dumpster. It's a time investment. It's a time and energy investment. So you might actually be doing them a favor, by picking up an old broken machine and hauling it off for free, you know. So there is that um, synergy, that little um, relationship that exists. They may actually have things they're wanting to get rid of, and you could be doing them a favor. I wouldn't necessarily approach it, uh, you know, don't show up and say, hey, I'm willing to do you a favor by hauling off this machine. But uh, sniff around, you know, they may be able... Uh, one thing that we, anybody who's ever dealt with arcade vendors knows is that arcade vendors um, are about money. So... You know, if you offer to haul off a broken game for 20 bucks or something, that's a good deal to them. That's, you know, you're saving them time and money. So, uh, but that, that's one good place to acquire old arcade cabinets. Now, once you've got an arcade cabinet, one thing to consider is how are you going to finish it? And I, I don't know where this, ca I think this is a case of people having faulty memories, but I've seen a lot of people building main cabinets get almost obsessed with trying to get a mirror finish on the side of a cabinet using paint. And I think it's because in their mind, they're not remembering arcade cabinets correctly. Now, there are many different kinds of finish that were on arcade games. Um, and if you look at older games... Uh, several of the older games that I had, uh, like Scramble, were simply plywood on the outside. Or if you look at a Defender cabinet, um, the old, old uh, cabinets like that, uh, Defender cabinet is plywood. I've taken one apart. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you, it's definitely plywood. Um, and on the outside, it was painted. 
And then on some those games, those in fact those two specific games, Scramble and Defender, um, Miss Pac-Man's another one. The graphics were simply spray painted stencils that were applied to the outside of the machine. The other type of finish that became popular uh, later was Formica, and Formica, if you've never worked with it, is a god awful pain in the ass. <laughs> If you don't have the right tools. If you have the right tools, it's not really an issue. But um, Formica breaks very easily. So um, if you don't know what you're doing, it's very easy to buy a sheet of 4x8 Formica, come home to stick it on the side of an arcade cabinet, uh, and then immediately bust it and have $20 go down the drain just like that. So the easiest way to apply Formica to the side of a cabinet is to use a um, router with the right bit. There are bits that will trim Formica, and you can simply uh, glue Formica to the side of an arcade cabinet and then trim around it and have it fit exactly. But So those are really the two most common uh, finishes. Um, there were you know painted cabinets, which were painted wood, and there was Formica. So um, I see a lot of people that build MAME cabinets spend an awful lot of time and money trying to get wood to look like Formica. And you can do it. Um, you're going to spend uh, a lot of time primering and painting and sanding and repainting and sanding and repainting. Um, again, this goes back to something I already said. It's whatever you want to do. Um, you know, there's no right or wrong way to build a main cabinet. So it's whatever you're going after. But um, you know, before you spend a, a ton of money and time at trying to, you know, get a, you know, paint on a sheet of wood or to be able to show your own reflection in, take a look at other arcade cabinets, real cabinets. And I, and I think what you'll find is you won't find very many, um, that look like that. Now, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Bricktop, who actually runs, uh, an arcade forum on Facebook, for a while was making cabinets using a glitter, a custom glitter uh, paint. And yeah, I thought it looked fantastic. I think what he was, was shooting for is it's almost like a retro 70s. I know he had one that was a silver sparkly and one that was a pink, I think. And I thought they looked great. He, um, They don't really sell. It doesn't appeal, I don't think, to um, arcade uh, truists, if you will. But... Um, to people that are looking to put a game in their den or something, I thought they looked really good. So, but again, it's it's just your imagination. Um, you know, you can make a main cabinet that lo looks exactly like a retro arcade cabinet, or you can um, put whatever you want on there. Uh, to give you an example on mine, the one I was talking about that was the Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet. Um, I grew up hanging out at a local arcade named Cactus Jacks. So when it was time to put my own main machine together, I uh, used Photoshop and I made my own marquee to go across the top. And I found a, a picture of a desert with a single cactus on there. And mine was Cactus Flax. And uh, so it was just a, a little, you know, mine was unique. It was different from everyone else's, but it was just something that, uh, that I, I enjoyed that I thought was pretty cool. So... Now, the front part of the cabinet that holds the controls, the joystick and the button, is called the control panel. And 
depending on how many controls, how many joysticks and buttons and things like that that you want to put on your arcade cabinet, um, that might determine what kind of cabinet you end up buying. Now, I have always thought there there's a, a balance. There is a balance here. Um, if you put like a normal arcade cabinet that has two joysticks and three buttons, let's say, per player. That's enough to play a lot of games. You can play a lot of arcade games uh, with two joysticks and three buttons. but Or three buttons per player, I should say. Um, so some people want four-player cabinets. And so you start to see these control panels grow. Now there are, there were some four-player games, obviously, um, Simpsons and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and things like that, Gauntlet, uh, are very well-known four-player games. Um, but each one of those games usually only had a couple of buttons per player. So the trap, let's call it a trap, that people fall into is this. I'm only going to build one main cabinet, and I want that cabinet to play as many different games as possible. So what that leads to is people, the mentality that you have to have as many joysticks and as many buttons and as many features all on one single control panel as possible. And there are websites actually dedicated to terrible looking MAME machines. There's one called Crap MAME. Um, there's another called, I, I think it's more of a general term now, is called a Franken MAME or Franken cabinet. Um, but it's like these people that throw every single thing onto the machine. Now, I, I've already said this several times. I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to keep saying it. It's your cabinet. You can put whatever you want. If you want to put 52 buttons on, on a control panel, then go buy 52 buttons. Start drilling holes. Um, but if you want it to look sort of like a real arcade game or a real arcade cabinet, you'll notice you don't see control panels like that. Now, um, the Donkey Kong cabinet that I had, uh, or Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet that I had, uh, space is pretty limited on that control panel. In fact, uh, I only had two buttons per player and two joysticks. Uh, I think the joysticks on mine had been upgraded uh, to like a versus cabinet, like an Excite Bike type cabinet or something, where um, where you had two joysticks. But um, there are a lot of different ideologies about how to approach the control panel. One thing to consider are your joysticks. There were classic games that used two-way sticks. Space Invaders used a two-way stick. Uh, actually, Space Invaders, I think, just used buttons. Um, Joust uses a two-way stick, and I think Defender used a two-way stick. Um, those are joysticks that are limited, physically limited, to only going two directions. Um, then there are four-way sticks, Games like Pac-Man used a four-way stick where you could only go in four directions. And then there were eight-way sticks, uh, games that were designed to let you go uh, diagonal as well. Games like Mortal Kombat, things like that. Um, and then there are, of course, other specialty joysticks. I think um, the Sinistar uh, has a 49-way joystick. So, but basically, the problem with MAME cabinets... Uh, is the difference between four-way and eight-way sticks. And that problem is that games that use eight-way controls don't work well if you're using a four-way stick. 
and vice versa, games that were designed for a four-way stick don't work well when you're using an eight-way joystick. If you try to play Pac-Man, or Donkey Kong is a great example. If you try to play Donkey Kong with an eight-way stick, what you'll find is a barrel of frustration. <laughs> I didn't write that. I just made that up. Um, what you'll find, though, is uh, if you've ever played a game and you're like, like Donkey Kong, and you go up the ladder, and then it's like you're stuck. Like, you can't get off the ladder, and it's because you're not really pressing left. You're pressing up and left on an eight-way joystick, and the game doesn't recognize that. It doesn't know what to do because it wasn't programmed to know what to happen uh, when you press two directions at the same time, because with a four-way stick, that's not possible. So it's very frustrating to play an old game that was designed to use a four-way stick on if you're using an eight-way stick. Uh, and the same is true going the other way. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard to hit diagonals on games with a four-way stick. So now there are multiple ways to tackle this issue. And one is if you have a giant control panel and you have every um, control method known to man on your control panel, then what people do is they will add a dedicated four-way stick. Now, most older games that used a four-way stick like that were only one-player games. Games like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and Frogger. Um, only one person uses the joystick at a time, so most people only put, if they're going to do it this way, if they're going to... Um, th this solution is they would put one four-way stick on the control panel, and then they have you know, two or, or four eight-way sticks also on there for other players. So... Um, it, it does get around that problem of playing four-way, you know, games, four-way games with an eight-way stick and vice versa. But, um, you know, this control panel issue that we've been talking about is, is growing and growing. It's getting bigger. Now, the other solution is there are multiple joysticks on the market now that are easily switchable between four-way and eight-way. There are some, uh, some methods are easier than others. The most, the simplest I've seen is HAP has a joystick uh, that you can actually just pull the joystick up, rotate it, and push it back down. And when you do that, you change it from being a four-way to an eight-way. There's also, uh, I have sticks on my old cabinet where that have a slider bar, where you can slide it and it's rotating a restrictor plate underneath the joystick to make it a four-way or an eight-way. So it's just different ways to tackle the problem, you know. But that is one thing to keep in mind. And, and another thing is... Um, what are you going to play the most? If you're going to, if you're building a main machine to play fighting games, I would put eight-way sticks on there, and then deal with, you know, the problem of having four-way games. But, you know, and, and the opposite's true. If you are mostly a retro-type gamer and you're wanting an old machine to play Moon Patrol and Joust and things like that on, then you know you might not need eight-way sticks. But if you are wanting to put something together that'll play both then I would recommend looking at the joysticks that convert easily between four-way and eight-way sticks. The other consideration is how many buttons are you going to put on your control panel. Now, JAMA arcade games basically support three buttons per player. Then you're also going to need a player one start and a player two start. Um, so that's about eight buttons. Fighting games can use up to six buttons. Neo Geo games use four buttons, or up to four buttons. And then, like I said, fighting games have often have five or six buttons. So, uh, again, what are you going to play, and do you want to support every game? If you want to support every game, you need joysticks that switch between four and eight-way, and you need six buttons per person. Now, if you're only going to play retro games, 
something like that, then maybe you don't need all six buttons. You know, maybe you only need two or three buttons. I would put it, I would say at a minimum, I would put three buttons per player because that's what JAMA supports. Um, but if you want to support everything, yeah, then, then you may need um, six buttons per person. Again, part of this can be limited to how much real estate you actually have available on the control panel. And the other part is, you know, it's your cabinet, so how much do you want to support? Now, in addition to joysticks and buttons, there are several other things that you can add. Um, one thing is a trackball. They sell trackballs that wire into um, main cabinets. And trackballs are good for trackball games. Uh, if you've ever tried to play a trackball game with anything other than a trackball, you know how difficult that can be. So if you're looking to have Centipede or Millipede or... Uh, Missile Command or Marble Madness, which is a great game, um, then you might want to think about adding a trackball. Um, you can also add a spinner, and spinners are relatively easy to uh, add to a cabinet. So if you want to play Tempest, if you want to play Tron, Tron is one of the biggest pain in the butts <laughs> to set up for any kind of emulation uh, because you have a joystick that has a fire button on it. You have to be able to use a joystick and fire with one hand and use a spinner with another hand. And very few uh, arcade joysticks, especially ones that were would be designed for a main cabinet, have a trigger on the joystick. So you could do it, but man, I mean, it's like you have to basically really want to play emulated Tron uh, on your arcade cabinet to get Tron to work, to feel anything remotely like a Tron arcade game. Um, but... Um, so yeah, you can add spinners. You know, spinners also double for driving games. Prepare to qualify. It's the same uh, type of technology, and you can set MAME up to recognize a spinner uh, as a steering wheel as well for a driving game. And in fact, uh, at the beginning of the show when I was talking about that pole position, I actually had a friend who set up a dedicated driving MAME cabinet, and that's exactly what he used was a modified spinner with a steering wheel attached to it. And he just configured all these different games, you know, driving type games in MAME. Now, when you start doing specialized MAME cabinets, you're going to start talking about dedicating some space to things. Uh, and this is coming from a guy who, you know, up until recently owned 30 arcade cabinets. So I know about dedicating space to dumb hobbies. Um, but yeah, you know, if you think, well, if you could um, set up a, a vertical cabinet, you know, versus a horizontal cabinet or maybe a driving cabinet or whatever. So, you know, with a, just a few cabinets, you could pretty much cover everything or... Like I said, build that main cabinet that'll play everything. Another, uh, I, you know, I, I got to dig out the links. I just just remembered this. Years ago, there was a guy who built a system. There's a couple of different people. I know uh, somebody has built interchangeable control panels for main cabinets. You know, basically, it's just he would have uh, one control panel for fighting games, one for retro games, things like that. And uh, there's a system where they unplug and plug in. You could swap out different control panels very easily. So um, that's one solution. Another solution, and I've, I've, I've seen the guy that built this, but I don't know anybody else who has done it, but um, there was a guy who put together a rotating control panel. And so the, the actual control panel rotated. Uh, it was triangular shaped, and there were three different sets that had uh, joysticks and buttons for different configurations. Uh, so I always thought that was super cool, but that's way beyond my uh, my personal building skills. But um, So the control panel is something that you should really spend a lot of time with. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny how just a little 
a little thing will make a big difference. I mean, just by putting your buttons too close together or too far apart or uh, not lined up exactly straight or even the colors, if they don't match the rest of your cabinet, it can really, you know, that's what you're going to be looking at a lot. I mean, the monitor, uh, well, you, you look at all the parts of it, I guess, but you know, I mean, it's right there in front of the monitor. It's the joystick and the button. So you really want to make sure you have that part right. Um, you can also, depending on how you build your control panel, uh, there are games where the control panel is just wood. You can cover it uh, with some sort of Lexan or um, plexiglass or something. Uh, there are ones that were metal that have a sticker over it. So like I said, uh, all different kinds of way. But the control panel is definitely something that you want to put a little bit of thought into. And by that, I mean figure out what kind of games you want to play before you just start drilling holes in wood and metal. Um, and by the way, here's a little trivia fact for you. Arcade holes for arcade buttons are one and one eighth inch around. So if you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, they have uh, these drill bits that are almost, they look like they're shaped like a, eh, not a trident, I guess, almost like a crown, like they, but um, they're for drilling circles or whatever, but I have two. One is one and one eighth inch, which is the perfect size for arcade buttons. The other one is one and one fourth inch, which is the size I needed uh, for joysticks. So there you go. A little trivia effect for you. Now, one thing that a lot of people wonder is how are you going to connect these joysticks and buttons to the PC that's inside this MAME cabinet running MAME? And actually, there are several different ways to do that, but I will give you my opinion on which is the best, but I will, I'll tell you all of them. So... MAME is programmed to accept input from keyboards. So the arrow keys on MAME, up, down, left, right, that would control your character, different buttons, uh, the number keys, insert coins, and start. So one way that people, when people began building MAME cabinets, what they did was they took apart keyboards. And they took all the wires, they ran wires from these buttons and joysticks onto uh, the circuit boards from inside keyboards. And so basically, if you think about it, when you hit left on the joystick, uh, left might go to the left arrow key on the keyboard. So this wire, uh, you know, inside underneath the joystick, there's a micro switch. And when you hit left, it goes down and it basically, you know, the wire touches that contact uh, on the keyboard uh, control panel and it tells the computer that, you know, you've pressed left. So what's good about this solution? What's good about it is if you have extra keyboards laying around, it's basically free. So if you are on an extreme budget uh, and you like tinkering with projects and soldering and wiring things up and doing all this, then this might be the solution for you. Now, what's bad about this solution? First of all, it's a pain in the butt. Um, you're going to have to take keyboards, pull them apart, do all this thing. But the second and the bigger problem, I guess, uh, with this solution is something that's called keyboard ghosting. And I could go into a long explanation about keyboard ghosting, but basically, by the way that keyboards are wired, they're not wired... If you uh, open up Notepad or whatever, the text editor of your choice and you press your hands down on all the keys, you'll notice that not all the keys show up. 
Uh, and that's because the way keyboards are wired inside, uh, there's a like a grid inside your keyboard that detects which key is pressed down. So if you hold down um, certain keys and then press other keys, because of the way they're wired, it won't recognize all these key presses. So this isn't really a big problem with keyboards because as human beings and using keyboards uh, as data entry devices, we don't have to hit all 26 or 101 keys all at the same time. And even when playing arcade games, uh, you know, using the arrow keys and the different letters, people have already uh, considered that when they do the layout for these. But the problem becomes uh, when you have a four-player MAME cabinet, and now you have four different people with four different joysticks with six different buttons. So now we have dozens and dozens of inputs all being put into an arcade game at the same time, and keyboards weren't meant to handle that. So, the easiest and best, and from my point of view, highly, most highly recommended solution is to get a keyboard encoder. Now, what this is, is a little tiny printed circuit board with a whole bunch of little inputs all the way around the edges, uh, where you can put wires into. So using a flat tip screwdriver, you loosen these little, uh, you know, spring-loaded contacts, you put a wire in, and then you screw it back down, and you're done. And on the actual circuit board, it shows you what letters uh, are associated with the little contacts. So these are designed with MAME in mind. So this isn't some, like, weird, you know, solution of trying to get some of the hardware and get it to work. Um the most popular one for years has been the IPAC, and that's I-PAC. Um, the original IPACs supported PS2 keyboards, but the newer ones support USB. So depending on what kind of computer, obviously if you're running, um, for example, a DOS machine, you may not want to get the USB solution because you'd have to load USB drivers in DOS, which might be difficult. Um, but so what these little encoders do is it's basically the same type of circuitry that's inside a keyboard, except for they've been designed to not uh, have the same issue with the matrix type ghosting. So basically what you would do to wire this up is underneath uh, your control panel where you've added all these buttons and joysticks, every one of these has a little micro switch and they have two leads. So one is going to be for your ground, and the entire control panel will use one common ground. So the ground wire is going to go from button 1 to button 2, button 2 to button 3. Uh, it'll go all the way through all your start buttons, through your joysticks, uh, and eventually it will ground to uh, your keyboard encoder, like I said, the IPAC. Um, and then all your hot leads off of those micro switches will go to the IPAC. So there will be one, and it'll say player, uh, you know, joystick left, joystick right, button one, two, three, four, five, six, player start, one, two, three, four, coin insert, player one, two, three, four. It's very, very easy to wire up. Um, so all your wires go to this little tiny circuit board. And then, like I said, depending on the version that you buy, uh, you either run a PS2 cable from that to the computer, like on the keyboard import, or you run the USB version. So it's just a USB cable that runs from that to the back of the computer. The computer sees it as a keyboard input device. Um, I don't remember. It's been so long since I bought one. I, I think it may have come with drivers, but I don't really remember needing drivers. 
there are different versions of the iPack. There's an iPack 2, which has all the, the context you need for a two-player setup. And then there's an iPack 4, uh, which is for a four-player setup. So it has enough context for four players with four joysticks, six button each, plus all the start buttons, all the the um, uh, coin insert buttons, all that stuff. So it's all in one thing. Uh, KeyWiz is another uh, competitor to the iPack. Personally, I've used the iPack. That's the first one I got. Um, that was before I think the KeyWiz was out. So um, I'm not really plugging one over the other. If somebody wants to send me a KeyWiz, I'm in the middle of putting together another main cabinet. So I'd be glad to try that. But uh, right now, I'm still an iPack guy. There are also iPacks um, that will support trackballs and those other things like that too. So, uh, But that's how you wire all that stuff together. So um, and like anything else, you know, you may be getting back in that control panel someday. So it's always a good idea to use a little bit of uh, Velcro or wire clamps or whatever. Just try to do a, a neat wiring job inside there. So you have your keyboard controller, now you have your control panel, and it's wired up, and it's plugged into your computer. Um, we have our monitor, and we have our computer, and everything is inside of our arcade cabinet. So the final step is making this cabinet look like what you want it to look like. Um, there are several parts to an arcade cabinet. If you don't know, the part up at the top, like that says the game, where it would say Defender or uh, Pac-Man or whatever, that's the marquee. And um, you can make your own marquee. You can do anything from, you can print out a marquee on your home inkjet printer. It may not look very good. Some people um, print two copies and double layer them. You can go get sheets of very thin plexiglass and sandwich your marquee in between two sheets of plexiglass and put them on an arcade machine like that. Or you can take it to a local printer and have it printed out on um, you know, heavier paper, things like that. You can have it printed out on vinyl. You probably... Don't want to use anything too thick so that uh, if you put a light behind it, it will shine through still. But that's uh, the marquee. And then the part that goes around your monitor, that's known as the bezel. The bezel can be anything from plain black to a color to something that has artwork. A lot of times older machines had instructions for that specific game. So you may want to explain what the buttons are on your particular uh, you know, main machine. The if the simplest way to do a bezel is if you put plexiglass over the front of the monitor, you could just tape off the area where the monitor shows through and then spray paint the rest black. That's one solution. Um, I've used poster board on them before. You could use anything. So, uh, But you definitely want to put a bezel around the monitor so that you can't see inside the arcade cabinet or um, possibly through it. Uh, and then, like we talked about, there's uh, for the control panel, you may have control panel artwork. That's sometimes referred to as a control panel overlay or a CPO. Um, that, again, can be machine-specific or, uh, you know, just a simple design, or it may just be a, a single color. That's okay. And then the last thing would be the side art. And, again, you can... Um, have these printed out at local vinyl shops, or you can have them, you can order them online if you just want a generic one that says MAME. You know, for me, um, you know, I've done several different kinds of MAME machines. I've built, um, you know, I referred to the one out of the Donkey Kong machine. I had one, uh, I have one in my garage right now. It's kind of an ongoing project that I inherited, and um, uh, it's just so big that um, 
it's hard to find a place to put it in the house, you know, but um, it's it's one of these that I mean, just has a control panel that goes on for days, you know, and, and um, so I, I'm not really in love with it right now. But what I'm wanting to do, and I think some of the, the best main machines are ones that are original, uh, and I'm going to link to a couple of just great examples. There's one um, that I remember seeing that's all black and hot pink. And I think the uh, guy built it maybe for his daughter, but um, uh, inside, you know, there's parts of the cabinet that are cut out with plexiglass that have pink neon that show through. Um, I've seen cabinets that have custom lights, custom speakers, uh, you know, so... So for me, it's a balance between having it look original but not gaudy um, and, you know, wanting to stay off of that crap main page <laughs> or anything like that, you know. I mean, because there are some terrible, terrible main machines out there. There are uh, sometimes, I, I think I'm one of these people sometimes uh, too, where you come up with something in your head and you think it would look good and then whenever you start putting it together, it doesn't look good. I, I remember seeing um, on that crap main page, there's one... Uh, where someone made their main cabinet and it's the whole side is just decorated um, with cutouts of arcade figures. I mean, that sounds like something that might be a good idea when you think about it. But then when you actually look at this machine, you know, it looks like, um, like cut, you know, newspaper clippings that someone has stuck using a magnet to the front of their refrigerator. It doesn't look good. So, um, you know, part of it is just... And, and one thing that you could do, and I've done this before, is, you know, take a picture of a, of a blank cabinet and then throw it into Photoshop or whatever uh, video or photo editing software that you use and play around with it. Put some different designs on there. Uh, see different colors. See what things look good. You know, that that's um, one of the cool things about that software. You can play around in the computer. It doesn't cost you any money to do that. So, so now with everything inside the main cabinet, you're going to need what is known as a front end. The front end is a piece of software that um, basically controls MAME. Now, MAME is a computer program, and it is designed for you to navigate using a mouse uh, or a keyboard. And obviously, those are things that you don't want to have to use in an arcade cabinet. You want to be able to navigate and pick the games that you want to play uh, using a joystick. So there are several different front ends um, all you got to do, go out to Google and type in MAME front ends, and you'll find a million of them. There are different um, front ends specialized in different things. There's one called Arcade OS, which is very good if you're using an arcade monitor uh, because it's very low resolution. It doesn't have a lot of small text. Um, there's one called Game Launcher, uh, which is nice. There's a very popular one called MAMEWA, which works uh, both with Linux and with Windows. I believe uh, that I've read a thread recently that people are having difficulty getting it to work with Windows 7, but if you're running still running XP on your main machine or anything like that, it works good. I personally use one called Maximus Arcade. Um, some of these front ends are free. Some of them are not free. Maximus is one that is not free. Uh, if I remember right, I think I paid like $20, $25 or something for it, but... Uh, I really like the way it's set up. It's very easy to set up. I also uh, experimented with writing my own front end, which ran in uh, Visual Basic, and I found out it's a lot harder to set one up than you would think. Another thing that these front ends give you is the ability to run other programs, not just MAME. So, for example, 
Um, there is another emulator called Daphne, which Daphne, you may remember, is the uh, name of the princess that you're trying to save in Dragon's Lair. And Daphne is an emulator that plays Laserdisc games. So, uh, and this, I, I mentioned this earlier in the program about needing drive space. Well, Laserdisc images of arcade games can be pretty big. So if you're going to support all the Laserdisc games on your main cabinet, like Dragon's Lair and Space Ace and um, Mad Dog McCree and all these old classic uh, games like that, you're going to need some drive space. But it is nice uh, to use a front end to be able to um, load other emulators. Now, at work we have something... um, called scope so every project has a scope and we also have what is called scope creep (laughs) uh, or scope crawl and that is when the scope of a project begins to grow and you have things that are outside the scope so it's very easy once you find a front end that will load anything to put every kind of emulator you can think of in there people have main machines that will launch um, Atari 2600 emulators, and they can play Atari 2600 games. And that's, you know, a, again, I've said it several times, it comes back to personal preference. So if you want a machine that runs every kind of emulator, then, you know, that's great. There's a couple of issues you may run into. One is that um, some of those emulators require button key presses. So you may have to go in and do some advanced configuration, either on the emulator or on the front end that you're using, um, to get the emulator to work with only the buttons and joysticks that you have available on your control panel. The other issue, and this is my personal issue, is that there never were Atari 2600s available in arcade machines. So that's not what I'm trying to do with a main machine. With a main machine, for me, it's to simulate the experience of playing arcade games in an arcade cabinet. So, um, you know, I didn't have, there weren't, I mean, there were, I guess, if you want to get technical, Super Nintendo arcade cabinets. But, um, you know, like when I first got my um, front end set up, Maximus, when I found you could load any kind of arcade game or any kind of emulator, the first one I put in was a Commodore 64. Well, first of all, Commodore 64 doesn't really... uh, lend itself to that environment because most, a lot of games had you, you had to press F1, F3, F5, or F7 to start or configure the game. Well, you know, those by default aren't, um, you know, main key presses that are mapped to buttons. So, um, I had to do some custom work there and even, you know, it's easy to forget about things like you'll be playing a game and then, uh, it'll say, well, press a space bar to continue. Well, there's no space bar on a joystick and button. So, um, It is an option, and if it's something you want to set up, then uh, there are front ends out there that will support that. Another cool thing about front ends is many of the front ends will display artwork, graphics, videos as you're going through your MAME list. Um, So, and one other thing that front ends really help you with is organizing your games. Now, remember when I said... Uh, that MAME is, it supports well over 5,000 games now. That's a lot of games. So when you fire up MAME uh, and it starts displaying these games alphabetically, it may take you a long time to get to the M's or the N's and the O's. You know, if you want to play track and field, you may have to scroll for a long time. So 
One thing that a lot, well, MAME supports this, and front ends, many front ends support this as well, is um, different genres. So you can group all your games together, like all the fighting games, all the driving games, all the space games. You can group those things together. Now, one thing I like about Maximus Arcade, and I'm not you know, plugging them necessarily because a lot of the other ones have this same feature, but it's just the one I'm familiar with, is they have uh, a section where you can also put your favorite games. So, like I said, there's if there's 5,000 games, you can bet that people haven't heard of probably at least 4,000 of them, maybe more than that. Um, so when you can go in and put your favorites, that's where I put all the classics. That's where I have Dig Dug and Pac-Man and Yi'ar Kung Fu and Shinobi and all my favorite games. They go into that little favorite section. So you can flip over to the favorites tab and have it narrowed down to maybe the 50 or 100 games that you play the most. So that, that's really convenient. So as far as main cabinets go, and that's basically it, I can't stress enough that, number one, uh, there are going to be people lined up telling you that whatever you have chosen, you have chosen to do it the wrong way. <laughs> no matter what decisions you make uh, when you're putting together a main cabinet, there are people that are not going to agree with that. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. They can build a main cabinet in their own way. Some people don't agree with main cabinets at all. You know, there's a huge uh, section of the arcade community that hates main cabinets and hates emulation, especially when they see people taking classic arcade cabinets and converting them to main machines. So, you know, that's their prerogative. And um, personally, I believe in both. Um, I, you know had classic arcade games. I have classic arcade machines in my garage. Um, but I also have main machines and I have, um, you know, multi type machines as well. So they're not a hundred percent authentic, but they have their place just like emulation has its place. So, uh, but that's, I guess, something to keep in mind. I'd also say again, um, plan out what you're going to do. Don't just go buy a bunch of wood and start cutting and then hope something good comes together because that will be known as your first main machine, and then once you find all the errors, you're going to you know, build another one and do it right. So come up with a theme. That's what I think is cool. Um, you know, maybe it's your personal fighting machine, or maybe it's, you know, what I really want to build next is a main cabinet, um, you know, that has, like, flame job coming up the side, like a real classic hot rod-looking machine that's black with uh, flames coming up on the side, and, and um, maybe, like, you know, blue pinstripe around the flames and, and some blue and orange buttons, something like that. So it, it's really about, like I said, just coming up with something that fits your personality. Um, if you need help, find somebody that's good at woodworking. Um, the electronic part is really pretty easy. Um, hooking up the front end and all that, I mean, it may take some trial and effort, but it's not really difficult stuff. The woodworking is something that, like I said, if you don't have skills in, find people that, um, you know, will help you sand down an old machine or spray paint a machine. Uh, this is a good springtime project. we got spring coming up. Go uh, to your local arcade. Go find an auction. Go find a, a dead machine in Craigslist or somewhere that you could get for 25 or 50 bucks and, and uh, sand that thing down. Spray paint it the way you want it painted. Um, you know, put paint put for my or whatever you want to do. Have custom graphics, you know. It's really, like I said, it's just your uh, imagination, whatever you want to do with that cabinet, so...
Now, where can you find resources online for main cabinets? And, I mean, the first one's obviously Google. If you go type in Google main cabinet plans, you'll get millions of hits. Literally millions uh, at this point. So many people have built main cabinets. And you won't find any two that are alike. Everybody has, you know, put their own little twist on it. They do things their own way. One of the big communities dedicated to main cabinets is um, BYOAC, which I I have a hat. I bought, uh, I was part of a... They had a fundraiser type thing where people pitched in and bought hats. And it was for um, build your own arcade controls, B-Y-O-A-C. And every time I wear it, people ask. The front of the hat has a a player one start button on the front. And one side of it says FLAC and the other side says B-Y-O-A-C. And everybody who sees that hat asks me, um, why would I wear a hat that says bring your own air conditioning? But it's not. It's build your own arcade controls, B-Y-O-A-C. And now they have actually... Um, years ago, actually, they changed their name um, to the Arcade Controls website, and that's just arcadecontrols.com. Uh, they have a wiki online, they have forums, and they have uh, a main page, but they also have a wiki that goes through every part of building a main cabinet. So if you want to find out about different kinds of control panels, different types of keyboard encoders, different ways to have side art printed, anything that you, any questions you could possibly have about building an arcade cabinet, uh, they have answered on their wiki. So that is a super good resource. One other resource is obviously Invading Spaces, a beginner's guide to collecting arcade games, which also happen to be written by me. It's available at robohara.com forward slash invading spaces, all one word. And uh, you can buy the PDF for only two ninety nine. That is DRM free, or you can uh, buy a paperback copy and have it shipped anywhere in the U.S. for $20. So uh, I might be a little partial, but that's also another uh, good resource if you're looking for one on main cabinets. I think that's about a wrap for episode 122 on main cabinets. Um, I would love to hear your feedback. If you have any main cabinet tips that I skipped over or didn't mention, anything or uh, anything you want to talk about, if you've ever built a main cabinet or if you're thinking about building a main cabinet, drop me an email. It's Rob O'Hara at robohara.com, or you can call the voice mailbox at area code 206-309-9501. Call that number, leave me a message. If it's great, I'll play it on the air. If it makes me cry, I will talk about it to no end. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't leave me messages that make me cry. Uh, but seriously, if you do have any feedback, suggestions, um, criticisms, anything like that, um, th- that's two ways to get a hold of me. Again, I'd like to thank all the new affiliates that we gained over the last uh, couple of weeks. Stitcher, all our new Stitcher listeners, all the new listeners we have out there at the um, uh, Xbox Marketplace, the Zoom guys, the Double Twist, Podcast Pickle, everybody out there. If there's another place you would like to see the show added, uh, again, get a hold of me and let me know. I'd be glad to get the show anywhere we can out there. Also, extra special thanks to Brent Weiss for being the show's first sponsor. Again, Brett's website is brettweisswords.com. You'll find a link for that over at uh, the podcast website. Be sure to check out Brett's books. They're really awesome. I have the first three, and they're great uh, reference material. They're great reading material. If you like looking through collections of old video games, cartridges, all that kind of stuff, it's really good stuff to go through. So thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody, for making You Don't Know Flax such a success. And I will see you next Sunday on episode 123 of You Don't Know Flack.